Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. It is 1994, a few weeks before South Africa's first democratic election, and two security guards are murdered at a Cheka supermarket. Thousands of rands are stolen and never recovered. The police arrest three suspects. One man, Anthony de Vries, is convicted. He's currently serving life in jail, and even after 17 years, Anthony still insists that he's innocent. I'm Freddie Mabitella, and you're listening to Alibi. Previously on Alibi. The appeal wasn't refused, so it could never be done again. You had another chance to take it to the... I had another chance because I was granted permission to go to Bloomfontein. Do do a lot of people believe you? I mean, do you you find that? Yeah. I mean, do they? Do they they usually believe you or not? In general, I'm a person that... I'm Freddie Mabitella, and you're listening to episode 8 of Alibi. This is a show about finding out if Anthony DeFries is innocent or guilty of his crimes. The person who is investigating Anthony's case is journalist Paul McNally. Paul, we've had eight weeks, and here we are. I got to say, even at this point, I'm struggling with this case. I go from guilty to innocent and back to guilty. Seeing that we're on the last episode, we have very limited time, you know, to uh, discuss Anthony's case. So where are we going to start? Because we don't have much time, I'm going to go back to Tulani and Corsi at the Vitz Law Clinic to chat about Anthony's paperwork. There have been terrible delays on Anthony's papers. He is really struggling to get his parole and he needs legal help. Now, last week, I was impressed by how tenacious he was. He kept on fighting for his justice and countlessly failing. Anthony even threatened the head of prison with a contempt of court charge in the hope that it would motivate the process. Then, at the last minute, Anthony backed down. He dropped the charges. And he hasn't heard any news on the state of his paperwork since. I want to know if he has any chance of moving his parole process forward. Well, now, you you said to me that now he's now withdrawn or he has... He's no longer continuing with the contract. Well, they asked him to suspend it because they said they would get it sorted out. Okay. So and now that, that, was a, that wasn't long ago. That was like a week ago. Okay. I, I think he needs to he needs to reinstate his contempt. Yeah. And this time he needs not to withdraw it because they're playing games with his liberty. Mm. Yeah. I told Anthony once that he had guts. And he said back, it's not guts. It's desperation. Even if Anthony is considered guilty by the state... 
I want him to see his mother outside and free in Ennerdale before she dies. And with this thought, I push Talani just a little bit harder as we talk to each other. I want him to take on Anthony's case and at least to help him with his parole. So then is this something that the Vitz Law Clinic could help him with, maybe? You see, one of the difficulties we will have is that he's sitting in prison. Which prison is this? He's in Boxburg. In Boxburg. Okay. Um, look, we can try to help him as best as we can. Okay, that's great. I really appreciate that. So maybe his brother needs to come here. I'll open up a file in his brother's name, and then we can liaise through the brother. Okay, that would be perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've been, uh, yeah, looking at this case, and he's so close to yeah. getting out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys are, I know you're so overworked. But yeah, no, really no, no, but I mean, one more, one more. What can <laughs> one more do? <laughs> what can one more do, Paul? No, I mean, although they do say that it's generally the last one that tends to break the camera's back, but hopefully our back is still strong. With this, Talani runs downstairs to greet another client, and I walk out into a sunny, casual afternoon on Vitz campus. You know what I think now? His chances stand a bit stronger. Even if Anthony gets out on parole, this doesn't actually answer the question of if he is guilty or innocent. Okay, now, so, so let's recap on some of the pros and cons from the past episode. Okay, so we had negativity towards Anthony from Desmond Brown, right? You'll remember the advocate who was late for court that day. But we also had extreme positivity from Justice Bossiello. He's a high-ranking judge, and he still regrets the fact that Anthony did not receive adequate access to justice. What about the detail that we had on the blood on the dashboard? Okay, so the blood on the dashboard is a huge piece of evidence. I looked at the photos of that blood for hours. And basically, there wasn't any proof that the blood on the dashboard was caused by any of the injuries that Anthony sustained. We went through two episodes, you'll remember, of investigating if Anthony had been shot. The state said Anthony had one type of injury, and that meant that Anthony couldn't have been shot in the BMW because he was supposedly shot when he left the BMW and fled. If he had been shot outside of the BMW, the blood would have been splashed all over the grass. So the bullet graze, or the assumed bullet graze, might have not necessarily included a bullet or involved a gun. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange name to call it a bullet graze, considering what we learned last week. Our trauma expert told us that the diagnosis of a bullet graze that was used at Anthony's trial in 1998 could have been entirely wrong. So, Freddie, when we discovered the bullet graze, did you think he'd been shot? Did you think he was guilty at that point? Look, honestly, I thought when we uh, discovered the bullet graze that we're going to wrap that one up. I thought this was it. And one thing that made me think of such is that he lied to us and that he kept that a secret. I mean, you remember at the beginning when he didn't tell us about Selwyn being a bank robber. Well, yeah, you're right. That level of deception has plagued the case. So what's the next step now? I want to go to Boxburg Correctional Centre and look Anthony in the eye. I want to tell him about his legal representation that we've got from Vitz Law Clinic. And I'm hoping that this close connection, while looking at him face to face, will give us some last minute clues of his guilt or innocence.
I'm driving up a long straight road with fields on either side, and I get the feeling that everyone in this area, everyone on this road, is here to visit the prison. A scoop of taxis are outside the prison compound, and there is a woman among them selling bananas. And she says to me that she plans to sell a lot of bananas today. I sit in my car in the prison parking lot, watching people who have dressed up smartly for the day as they walk to the entrance. I guess because everyone, the gates are going to open in about fifteen minutes, and everyone wants to be sort of first in line. The walls of the prison are ridiculously high, and it feels horrible to think that Anthony is in there behind those walls. Two women have been doing their makeup while parked in a car beside me. All three of us get out of our cars at the same time. Yeah, this way. Hopefully, this way. And is that for all the sections? Yes. Okay. Because I'm going to section D. Is that? Yes. Yeah. Just go. Okay. I give it to you. Yeah. Are you visiting someone here now? Yes. I walk across the parking lot and think of Anthony's now fully grown son and how he rarely visits here. I'm directed by members of the crowd into a small room with wooden benches. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm just um, for the process to visit someone. What What is the process? Who are you here to visit? Uh, Anthony De Vries. Anthony. Like this. V R I E S, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Which section? D. Section D. Can you describe what's going to happen? What, what's the procedure? The procedure. If you go through this way. Yeah, you go this way. The first door on your left, you go through that door. The first door on your right, you go through that one. They'll set you from there. There's a guy sitting on a wheelchair. We'll search. We'll give you a stamp. Okay. After that, you'll ride a bus. Okay. To visit. I wait for Anthony in the open air visitors section. I'm sitting at one of the long wooden tables, and they bring out one prisoner at a time. Anthony is eventually brought out. He's wearing spectacles with thick lenses. For the first time, I notice that he has a concave ditch in his forehead. It looks like he was gripped too tightly by birth tongs when he was born, but he says that it was from being bashed in the head by an assailant that they never found. He grew his hair in his early twenties to cover up the ditch, and that's why he has long curls at the time of his arrest. He says when we talk on the phone, as we've been doing for interviews, afterwards he can't sleep. He says his mind goes straight back into that space. He says at the start, when I first made contact with him about his story and the case, he just wanted Selwyn to hand over the paperwork and that to be the end of it. He says it's like I'm making him relive this again and again and again. When I look at Anthony, I can't forget that I'm looking at a man that I've been studying for so long, and to see him in the flesh, well, it's jarring. So Paul, Anthony in this incident also sounds a bit impatient with you, and that to me just says it's a man who is convinced entirely in his mind that he has been wrongfully convicted. Even after seventeen whole years, I'm quite sure if you were to uphold a lie for seventeen whole years, you would get to a point where you're thinking, you know what? 
I can't I can't keep lying anymore. I'm just going to come out and say um actually I'm making this whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit mgmnationalharbor.com slash covert cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Anthony was transferred to Boxburg, where he is now, in 2008. Before that, he was bounced from one centre to the next. He caused trouble and he caused fights. Uh, at first, when I came to prison, it was, I can say it was my behaviour that made me do because it was difficult for me to adapt to the situation and I couldn't accept that I'm in prison and all that I used to be. I just fought everyone because I was angry at everyone. I was just totally misbehaving. I didn't want to accept that I was there. I was even telling the head of prison because he was fat like this. Told him, yes, you you are like this because you're eating the inmates' food and things like that. So I was just speaking my mind. And you see in correctional service, you don't speak your mind. Don't talk what you want to. And then... When I was there, I called the inspecting judge to complain about the prison conditions. And one day they just called me, they said, no, there's someone here to see you. And they were there by the officers and then when the, it was the inspecting judge, one of the representatives of the inspecting judge. And then I told him, no, here at prison, this is what the place is like. They don't do this, they don't do this. They're violating people's human rights. And the next thing, I was also on a trough. I was going back to the Joburg prison. And then he had an epiphany. He settled and he found God. I started attending church. I gave my heart to the Lord. And then I was starting to now, actually starting to change, adapt. And going to church made me to, I spiritually crowed a lot. Now, I'm not a religious person, and actually, I almost took this part of the story out that Anthony found God. But that seems, you know, insincere. Anthony changed while inside, and he attributes the spiritual awakening to being in jail. Uh, before, I can say I was that occasional churchgoer, just going to visit the church, and then, but I never actually committed myself any, to the things of God or what. But actually, when I went to Mangahung, it was where I became serious. Because, you see, that prison, it was, it was very good for, I can say, for rehabilitation. It was one of the best prisons that I was ever in. 
He found God and the power of prayer, and he found an ability to relate to any type of person, anyone. So when they lock you up at night, you can't run away from all those people. In fact, you can say prison is a dangerous place. But it's also, you know, there's very helpful people in prison. You see, in prison, eh, you can meet your worst enemy or your best friend in prison. People, there's people that are so helpful. You see, when someone gets sick at night, you'll find everyone, people, they just want to help. Hey, what can we do? You see? I see a man who has undoubtedly changed. But I know so much time has passed since the crime that how he is now is so distant from the man he was in his 20s that he could have killed dozens of people. And I would have no way to detect those signs on the man in front of me now. We went on a mass search for the police officers involved in this series. And it was not easy. I'd like to say that we sent off every radio script for the show to the SAPS spokesperson for Gauteng and gave them weeks to reply. And eventually they said the case was too long ago for them to give an appropriate comment. But let's go through where the police are now. What have they been doing with their lives all this time? Let's start with Derek Wayne Gibson. Now Gibson arrested Anthony's co-accused Stephen Kwanazi and Kelvin Collins when they came out of the BMW. And you'll remember that Stephen and Calvin actually died before we went to trial. Now, Gibson uncovered in the BMW an AK-47, an Uzi, a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, a 38 revolver, and a 9mm pistol. Where is he now? Well, he's still in the force. Since the robbery, he transferred to Mayerton Police Station, which is about 15 kilometers from the Checkers, where the murders took place. But unfortunately, he was booked off for an operation on his neck in September 2015 with no sign of being returned to duty. And he couldn't be found any other way. Next up, I went to look for Jacques Marais. This is the man who Anthony has been linked to for most of his life, since he was in high school when he pressed charges of torture against the police officer. He was the investigating officer on the case that sent him to jail for almost half his life. We were unable to contact Marais for an interview. But he worked at Vanderbilt Park Police Station until he retired in 2008. His last address recorded by the police was less than two kilometers from the checkers where the murders took place. It looks like uh, these two officers just keep getting closer to the checkers in their lives. <laughs> when I first started searching for Jacques Marais, the only person I could find was a JB Marais who is linked to the police because he is actually a young actor who is set to play a police officer in an upcoming movie. So, yeah, not much luck. Okay, so finally, we went to go look for the arresting officer, Francois Willem Reckart. Now, you'll remember Reckart was one of the officers who chased the BMW. And he says that he shot at the driver when he escaped on foot and fled into the felt. So after Anthony had been captured, he was brought to the scene of the BMW. And Reckart immediately identified Anthony as the driver of the vehicle. Reckart worked at Vanderbilt Park Police Station until he retired in 1999. I left a message for him on Facebook, didn't hear back from him, kind of thought that he'd forgotten about it or was ignoring me. Then, all of a sudden, I get a reply, and it says, let me know what you want to know. I picked the BMW up as it came out of Checkers, 
Okay. From the time that I picked the car up, chasing it, arresting and bringing them all together. The car never left my sight. And when Anthony was brought back by the SWAT team, I immediately recognized him by his clothing and by his face. Because I sat right next to him at the robot looking into his face. At the day of the incident, when we arrested him, it was like like a cold. <laughs> okay, you guys caught me, so what? Now what are you going to do? That's, that was his attitude. I asked Rekhart about the two versions of the statements, and he says he can't speak to that. But he insists that the chase happened in the early morning, around 9am, not long after the murders happened, as was in the statement that went to trial. All I can tell you, the guy that I saw in the car and the guy that I saw in the court, and this the same guy. There's no difference. As we were chasing, a person came out by the roof, um, shooting in the AK-47 at us. I mean, and when you see someone... Like, come out of a sunroof like that with a AK-47. It must be just a... It's, just, it's so <laughs> surreal. Like, when I read about that, it was it's a surreal experience, right? Now, you, 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 if, if some people say everything happens in slow motion. Um, it's, you look at this guy coming out the sunroof and you think, okay, <laughs> I'm checking out this model. And you just move down in your seat and... At some stage, I had to look between the steering wheel and the dashboard just to see where the road was and hoping that the road hit us. And I, I, I can't explain to you. <laughs> Do not understand, Paul. That, uh, <laughs> you can't explain it to somebody. If you haven't been through it, you can't explain it. And this all happened at 180, 200 kilometers an hour. This is when the BMW was in a crash with the truck. It spun out. And um, if I remember still, <laughs> the one comical thing that was... Um, I went to go and ask the guy that was shooting through the sunroof. I said to him, listen, but why were you shooting at me? Um, what was your idea? Do you, why do you want to kill me? He said, no, I just wanted to make you scared. Jeez. As we stopped, the two guys, one in the back seat and one in the passenger seat, they were arrested and Anthony ran into the cell. So I ran after him. There were shots exchanged and I shot him through the face. This, what he's talking about here, is the bullet graze. I went back, I got the AK and I went back into the cell chasing him. According to Rekhart, there were police officers on the day riding around in an unmarked bus. And Anthony, with his bleeding face, flagged the bus over, thinking it was a taxi. And then was totally surprised when he realised it was full of cops. So he stopped the bus thinking it was a taxi. As he opened the door, he was looking into the policeman's rifle. They brought him back, and when they brought him back to me, I immediately recognized him, his clothing and his face and everything. This is such a damning account, and it's hard to imagine one that could be worse. Rekhart doesn't have a recollection of the time that passed between him losing the driver of the BMW into the felt and Anthony being brought to the scene. However, he was there, present, when Anthony went to court. Even after the court case, when he walked out the court, I was there because I wanted to find out what was the judgment. He looked at me, he said, I'll come out, I'll come and get you. That's what he said to you? Yeah. I was a policeman and I was there to prevent crime and that's what I did. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. When Rekart retired from the police, he had a host of medals for bravery and service. He now works in security. If we can go back to our old camaraderie and work with my old friends and stuff, I'll go back. Okay. Not have political interference and just do my work. That's all I want. Rekart, when he was a cop, was careful to not get sucked into the lives of the victims involved in the cases that he worked on. At some stage in your life, and while being in the police, you learn, do your job, do you give your statement and go on to the next case because you get too involved, you get um, emotionally involved with the, with, the, with, the, um, with the victims and the victims' families, and, 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 and that starts just wearing you down. When I ask Rekhart why Anthony would lie like this for so many years, he's unsure. I cannot give you an answer on that. It might be family pressure. Um, there's so many things that, in the mind of the psyche. Remember, a person never wants to be pointed out to negative things in his life. He always wants um, the positive thing. Yeah. It's almost like a kid doesn't want to hide him, but he still wants to have the joy of being mischievous. Yeah. To my opinion, I think he should just get over it and accept the fact that he did do it. Um, according in my eyes, and I've got no doubt that it was him. I can't change anything, I'm telling you the truth, and that's all I can say. This point right now that you're listening to, it was originally the end of the series. That's it. It's over. I made a rough set of MP3s and sent them to my colleagues at Justice Project, some at Radio Academy. They listened, they gave feedback. Some people thought he was innocent, other people thought he was guilty. We'd found him a lawyer. What more could we do, really? It felt like an ending of sorts, something. And then this happened. <laughs> totally amazing. It's so exciting. Carolyn, my colleague from Vitz Justice Project, you'll remember her from an earlier episode when she gave me advice on Anthony lying. She says I have to come to see her in her office. Now, we are all on the 11th floor of University Corner at part of Vitz in Johannesburg. So I go to visit her in her office and she says, right, I have something very important to tell you. And she starts telling me about a man called Wesley Mandeling, someone she's recently interviewed. He works at the Department of Correctional Services. At this point, I have no idea why I'm being told about Wesley. But this is what she says. I think he's really devoted to his, his work. And I think he takes terrible strain and I think he's really decent man. Madeleine has now taken a desk job for the department in town. He used to work at Johannesburg Correctional Centre. Now, Carolyn is working on a different possible wrongful conviction case, and Wesley is a key interview subject in her story. And the two of them were busy chatting about wrongful convictions in general. Then he said to me, there have only been two cases in the 30 years I've been a correctional official. 
that I really believe these two people. And then he started talk, telling me about this case in Ferenachung. And when he started talking about it, I started to get rapid heartbeat. He begins to describe this case. And because Carolyn had heard the rough MP3s that I'd sent out, she begins to think that a few of these details sound familiar. And I said, is that, is, is his name Anthony? And he's like, how do you know? This is so messed up. It was incredible. Keep in mind, he says he has seen only two wrongful conviction cases in his whole career. The chances of Carolyn bumping into Anthony's story through another interview is so ridiculous. And it's incredible to get an endorsement from a warder. They have seen it all, and they are rarely moved by the stories from inmates. I meet Wesley in a DCS office in the Johannesburg CBD. He asks a lady awkwardly to leave her small office so we can sit down and talk about Anthony and how you judge someone's innocence. Yes, uh, like I told you, I've got 30 years of service, né? and... Um, Having worked with uh, all kinds of criminals, if a person comes to you, you are able now to be able to learn more of the inner person of an individual. You know, as we speak now, I can even say what type of a person you are, with merely by looking at you and talking to you for these five minutes. So it becomes much easier to know, to discern between the truth and the lies. Wesley was a disciplinary secretary for the CMC, or the Case Management Committee, when he met Anthony. So if an inmate refuses to eat, for example, he's brought to Wesley. And this is so he can figure out the reason for the inmate's unhappiness before he files a report to the Judicial Inspectorate, which is the oversight body. So his job was to come into direct contact with inmates who were having problems. Normally they will come to me knowing that this is the man who's going to listen much further and try to do something about it where our heads or uh, people who are assigned to do the job have failed. When you are working with, uh, say, 800 in, uh, inmates who are into uh, gangsterism, who are going to make you run around, you know, liking to bring in stuff like cell phones, data in, and then there are those who are very quiet who like to study, to go to church or to do something with their lives. Wesley says Anthony didn't fit any of these categories. And when he started uh, talking, you could feel, you could see the tears uh, forming in his eyes. And uh, as he speaks and uh, relates the story, you also become touched. This isolated internal attitude from an inmate is very rare. For me, I would think this would be really common. But from a man with 30 years' experience, Wesley Madeling says that the majority of inmates, if they are guilty after a while, they will reconcile their fate and just get on with it. I remember because uh, with him, was, uh, he was uh, going somewhere and then, uh, he was asking for a lift. Sort yes, of. That's right. Then these guys were coming and then they picked him up. Wesley thinks Anthony was transferred probably while he was on leave. And that's how he lost track of him. Now, day to day, Wesley works with parolees, dealing directly with what Anthony is trying to get, his parole. And what does it make you think now that all these years later that someone like Anthony is still in jail? I think uh, it's, uh, it's got to do 
totally with the incompetence of, of our justice system. Just lastly, is there any sort of message or comment you'd like to say to Anthony, if you could? You know, it's very easy from where I'm standing to say, yes, you can. Uh, but for a person who is like him, who is inside, and then tell him, if you go out or maybe for now, hang on in the brewer, uh, you'll make it. Uh, it's not. It's not good enough. You know, I wish I had something more, you know, to to to, to encourage him by. But I really don't know what to say. At this point, Wesley expresses how he has confidence in Anthony's innocence. Yeah, it strengthens it a lot, though, doesn't it? To have a warder as well. These guys have seen everything. They've seen everyone who claims to be innocent. Anthony did try and take the head of prison to court a few years back over what he believed to be a corrupt prison tuck shop system. When Anthony met with the head of prison recently to speak about his parole and the contempt of court charges... What did they speak about? Well, they spoke about how he was against the corrupt prison tuck shop. The head of prison remembered this, and Anthony immediately felt that he had compromised his parole. Anthony believes that he's created enemies. However, he says if he doesn't see results soon with his parole, he's going to restart his efforts against the tuck shop. He says he wants to expose the corruption. And I ask him if he thinks that will count against him further in terms of future attempts at parole. And he says, by that stage, he won't care. So is this the end? Is this how we wrap it up? A few months pass. I phone up Talani at the Vitz Law Clinic to check in, you know, to see how he's getting along with Anthony and Selwyn. And he says Selwyn never came to him. Talani never got the opportunity to help Anthony with his case. And I'm a bit annoyed because we tried so hard to get him a lawyer. So I phone Selwyn and he picks up the phone and he says, do you want to speak to the man? Do you? Do you want to speak to the man? And, and I said, yeah, yeah. And he passes the phone over to someone else. You okay, boss? Anthony, how are you? How's it, Dr. Good to see How's you. Ah, very good. No complaints, no complaints. What can you tell me? Uh, what can you tell me? Is that Anthony? Is that our guy? Yeah, basically he got out. He didn't go through the Vitz Law Clinic. He represented himself and eventually he got parole. You know, it is quite that kumbaya ending that I never expected in this case. That's what you wanted. That's, it's what I wanted to see but <laughs> never expected it. It's very good to see you. No, it's good to see you also, Paul. It's good to see you from another... Angle. Yeah. <laughs> From another angle. I'm down in Ennerdale where Anthony is staying with his mum. Anthony says he has a job already on a construction site. And in the meantime, he's busy fixing up his mother's garden. So we're sitting in his mother's immaculate lounge, hunched on adjacent couches, when he volunteers what it was like to finally get out. You know, like... I can say for the when they told me that it was not a reality for me yet for that first because they told me in January that I will be leaving on the first of or something around about the fifth or 
maybe between the 1st and the 10th of January they told me that on the 1st of February I'll be going but it was like it was not reality for me it couldn't sink in people other people were more happy for me than I for myself because it was like no man it's not it's not yet a reality it's not happening and then I can say the night or the day before I was released it was like now because now I was preparing my things and after they've called me by the parole board and the people has brought my clothes now to say no. Then it was now that no, you are actually going tomorrow. And then the day, the morning actually was now. When I only when I left the prison, when I got into the into the van that took me to Choburg, that was when now it sucks. It sunk into say yeah now, because I had my private clothes on and I was on my way. That was now actually where reality struck to say no. You are actually a free man because before that it was like no hey they can maybe change their mind anytime and said no something is not right you're not going so i couldn't get excited at that time for anything because over the years i've suffered so many appointments because i made appeals and nothing went right i did this nothing went right and it was like no something can still change mm. until the time I actually went out when I arrived at Joburg Chemko yeah I could now experience the emotion of freedom to say now I'm going yeah, but it was a good moment it was a good moment his mother is a short thin 76 year old woman while Anthony and I chat she spends most of the time in the bedroom and drifts out for a polite hello hello Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Paul. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, it's Paul Lesman, Virtual University. Okay. I'd imagine being down here and seeing a proud, affectionate mother, unable to contain the platitudes for her son. I'd imagine lots of hugging and kissing and showing me old photos from the past. But this is a family that's still in shock, I think, just to have Anthony out. He tells me how he's finding it difficult to get through a day without taking a nap. He says he spent most of his time while in prison sleeping just to pass the time. You have to train yourself, he says, to be part of the world again. If you see prison, it's like you get locked up. By three o'clock, you are locked up. Mm. So now when I go to work, I'll be working for the whole day. Anthony is spending most of his time with his brother Selwyn. He is the guy who's driving him to job interviews. He is the guy who is there for him. And I can't think of a better person, actually, for Anthony at this time than Selwyn. You'll find my brother says to me, hey, why are you sleeping? I said, hey, man, I'm tired. And he can't understand why I'm tired because... Yeah. I'm not used to it. My sleeping time, when it comes, I'm, my body is already used to it. When it comes to three o'clock, it's going to go and rest. So now I must change that and make my body used to another system. So that's why I say what I must do, I must keep myself busy to gardening, to the garden, work around the yard, fix things that need fixing. Anthony has three children from three different women and they were born in almost as many years. 
his absence has been profoundly felt in this regard. This is my one my one son. Hi, I am Paul. Hi. Nice to meet you. Your youngest son. It's my youngest son. Yeah. They are quite formal with each other, but I realize it's because they don't really know each other. But then, when the son leaves, Anthony leans over and tells me this. He said he was always longing to have a father in his life, to have his father, and now he's. So that's why he always comes because I told him he must come so that I can sit and teach him a little bit of computers and that. So. Does he live nearby? Yeah, he lives nearby. He just lives down the road. Anthony points down at his ankle and says that he's meant to have a tracking device on him, but it isn't ready. He says he needs to report whenever he leaves the house, but he's not going anywhere suspicious, so it doesn't really matter. It's been a while that we've been sitting together inside, and Anthony suddenly gets frustrated and says, yeah, "Can we stand outside sure. because I just need fresh air? You see, inside, I never used to get the fresh air. You no. need some more cold water? No, no, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, cold water? No, no, I'm good. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, better to stand oh. outside. Eh? On the porch, he points out a piece of roof that he needs to fix. He says that wasn't broken when I went inside. We look out together on an open field. It was the same, although the grass used to be cut. It would used to look a little bit better than this. So now it's kind of overgrown. Yeah, it's kind of overgrown. But this trees was not as big as that. Even these trees was very small. Our man is roaming free. The family is happy. We are now trapped in this kumbaya moment of uh, seeing our main character, you know, pull through and find his uh, forever seeked freedom. However, we are still lingering with the question of his innocence or guilt, which has never been proven. What a surprise, Freddie. What a surprise. You have been on the fence <laughs> since the beginning. You have been the critical voice on my shoulder since this series started. <laughs> Look, this is merely because Anthony has lied to us throughout the episodes. And it also comes from the fact that he has a history of crime. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Those are all true. So you might say I'm being a bit too judgmental here. You might also say that I'm judging him on his environments and so forth. But how I feel about him is that he could have been that innocent man on his way to a job interview or he could have been the rowdy driver in the BMW. Both cases are possible. The thing you have to remember is this man was tortured when he was in high school and when he was arrested, he was horribly over-sentenced under common purpose. He had disastrous legal representation. And there is clear evidence to show that the police doctored their statements between the time of arrest and trial. <sighs> there is not enough to have put this man in jail for 17 years. And 
Honestly, I don't think he did it. You have been listening to Alibi. This is the show that investigates a single criminal case over eight weeks. I'm Freddie Mabitella. Alibi is investigated, produced, and written by Paul McNally. It is brought to you by Vitz Justice Project, Vitz Radio Academy, and part of Citizen Justice Network. Editorial oversight was given by Franz Kruger and Nushin Afani. Extra scripting and production is by Elna Schutz. Additional editorial help from Gavin Haynes, Tom McNally, and Kyla Hemmonson. Production oversight and music is composed by John Bartman. Mixed by Kutrano Serame. We are based in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find all eight of our podcasts on alibi.org.za or on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for Alibi. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.